there's tools out there to make everything simple. You just got to make a decision as a business owner, what is the most important thing to you and what is the lowest hanging fruit to achieve that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the NZX Opening Bell podcast. My name's James Sharp from the Issuer and Origination team at The Exchange, recording this uh, on a very wet and grey Friday morning in Auckland. But thankfully, we've got some bright conversation ahead of us. And I want to say welcome back to Nick Lizette, Chief Executive of Blackpell Group. Welcome, Nick. Awesome. Thank you for having me, James. And uh, yes, one of the rare times that the weather in Auckland's worse than Wellington, you know, like we should have done it on the offices down in Wellington. So to kicking into it, I mean, keen to sort of pick up, we, we obviously met back in December. And so for those of you who haven't yet listened to our December podcast, we had uh, Nick and Tim Crown, who's chair of Black Pearl Group, talking about their business and as they're about to list. So perhaps, Nick, we can start with a quick refresher of the Black Pearl Group. Great. Yeah, we're, we're a data technology company. So, I mean, more specifically, we build and buy data-centric technologies that are focused at making small to medium-sized businesses' lives easier. So we're focused on business-to-business, small to medium-sized companies and products that help them, you know, basically make more money, right? That makes life easier. (laughs) No, that makes sense. Um, And and we are going to pick up that sort of data element shortly. But I've got to ask, obviously, uh, still very early days, uh, I would just be interested to hear whether your day-to-day, is it fundamentally changed or is it still very much kind of your laser focus on the business? You've got to build a great business. It's the first thing. And it's funny when you list, you know, the first thing you do is every, every uh, you know, five minutes, you're looking at the stock price on your phone. And obviously our chairman, Tim Crown, he's vastly experienced chairman of, you know, NASDAQ listed public company. And he said, yeah, that stops after a couple of weeks and the focus remains the same, which is building a great business. And he's dead right. You know, and actually, the great thing about it is that you get to publicly celebrate your wins as well. You've got a whole lot of people that are interested in the great things you're doing rather than kind of just your internal team. It's sort of the same but different. Yeah, it's been really cool. It's been a a very enjoyable experience, actually. Fantastic. Well, it's good to hear that. So I'd be interested with you, Nick, to pick up what we just mentioned before about data and the use of data and how we should be thinking about that as whether it's as users of it, as investors. And I want to start by asking you perhaps from a real elementary perspective. So I remember about 25, 30 years ago, my dad uh, bought a family PC, wasn't connected to the internet. And all I remember about uh, that PC was how much data it could store. And I think it was like 500 megabytes. It might have even been a gigabyte. A monster. A monster, exactly, by any standards. So that's how I've always thought about data. And as the years have gone past, how, how much data you can cram into that little box on your computer. Now, I'm wondering whether things have might have moved on from there and evolved. So I, I was wanting to ask in your own words, how should we be thinking about data? How has it evolved over 25, 30 years? And, you know, with your experience um, working with it? It's a great question. Actionability is the main way that it's evolved. So to use your computer analogy, right, when you got the computer, you were fascinated about how much you could store on there and and how many programs and how fast it run and used to care about those things a great deal. And over a time, they become less important because you're like, "Why, why is that? Why is that important? And suddenly it's like, oh, because it can run this program. And you go, oh, great, it can run this program. Why is that important? Oh, this program achieves this outcome 
and it's the, really the outcome or actions that you care about. And so if you think about data, it's you know, an interesting thing because people think it's big and it's scary and all that. It's, it's not. It's just about making the right decisions or easier decisions. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. And um, we use data in everyday life to make decisions every day. You know, like in your head, you, you're using data to make decisions. You see one road, even without GPS, the traffic's backed up on it and you're trying to get there. You don't drive that way. Why? Because, you know, here is some data points that may mean in your head that's going to be a slow way of getting there. So it's, it's about the actionability of data in technology that I think has been the hugest change. And has that sort of change coincided or been enabled by the improvement of the IT architecture around it, presumably? I mean, totally. We used to talk about size, but presumably broadband and as, as, as connectivity has increased, presumably that's also been a big part of it. Would that be fair to say? Yep, absolutely. So, the, you know, the classic saying is data is the fuel of the fourth industrial revolution. And so you've got to make sure you've got the right engine to utilize that. OK, and so taking to the actionability and the relevance around that, and I want to use another proper example in terms of my own experience, and maybe this is relevant for people listening. I worked at a, a large um, bank uh, a few years ago and was there for many years. I won't say which one, but I do remember when we used to get questions about what's in the da- data, you know, what is, what is um, our system, what are our systems telling us about our clients? And you could never get a straight answer or even the people like me who had to go and get the answer. It was always 75% accurate and it used to take absolutely ages to even find the most basic information about a big set of clients. In what way have you identified as, a, as an entrepreneur in this space in, in terms of your expertise? How has that changed? What has, has made it easier to gather those kind of large data sets and go back to that you know, actionability point? That's, that's such a great kind of case you used about a bank. So it's still in some instances very much like that if you try and bite off big chunks. So I've got a, you know, example is that we're very lucky to have Cheryl Presley as a director on our board and Cheryl's ex, uh, you know, senior director at, at Microsoft and at Google. All right, so that's the level she's, you know, rocking in from. And her one of her sayings is if you're not keeping score, you're only practicing. So everything with her, it's just baked into the way she operates is like, why are you making that decision? What 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 evidence is there to support that? Um, so very much you know like the same way. But if you think about it, these large corporations, be it a bank or Microsoft or Google, they've got the time and money and resources to put in to do that data discovery, and because of that, they've been the early winners in in utilizing data. So how's that change for small companies? And one of the things that people ask me about our oh, data it's you know it's, some people think it's scary it's overwhelming well like anything if you kind of let it all rush you at once it can be um, so use the example of like you need to make more sales so that you might then want to go and use like a marketing automation system and program that up to do all these things and analyze your google analytics and get other third-party add-ins to profile your customers and configure your spend accordingly and immediately that's overwhelming experience for a small to medium-sized business so key to using that is thinking real what is the what is the lowest you know quickest lowest hanging for quickest one that you can get out of that you know to to use a shameless plug like for example in that example of our 
our product Pearl Diver, right? You want to make more sales, well, it's a, a five-minute plug-in and it will show you literally the most engaged people turning up to your website, the best ones to call. That is not complicated. It literally tells you these are the people you want to be in contact with. So that's about the actionability. And if you, so, you know, you can make it complicated or you can make it simple. And there's tools out there to make everything simple. You just got to make a decision as a business owner what is the most important thing to you and what is the lowest hanging fruit to achieve that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean, you mentioned. Blackpool Divers, so no, I, I, do, well, I am interested in talking about that because I think it's very relevant. So if you could, we could just maybe take a step back. So this is something that you announced to market about a month ago, I believe. Yep. So how actually does it work? And was it something that you utilised? How did you utilise your expertise in coming up with that solution? Was that a difficult challenge or was it kind of just very, very simple? It sounds like a simple solution, but I'm sure there's a lot of complexity. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what it does, and then you'll go, oh, that doesn't sound very simple, and, and then I'll explain how we got there, right? So the Pearl Diver is a very simple plug into your website, and it quite literally shows you who is turning up to your website and how to contact them, like the contact information. So think about your website and all the people that turn up and there's a very small percentage of them that might fill a form out. They're the only ones you really know is the in, at an individual level who's turning up. Pill Diver solves that. It will literally say, James Sharp has turned up from the NZX. Here's your mobile number, your email address, here's your LinkedIn address, here's your business address. It will give you your whole profile card. So it's an amazing product. If you think about that data and what a huge change that is for small to medium-sized businesses or even big businesses, they can literally slash marketing budgets right down. They can start increasing conversion of their digital traffic at unprecedented rates. So super exciting product. Like I'm really you know you see i'm really animated about it because we use it every day we get sales out of every day you can really see how amazing a product it is so you think oh my gosh you can now see people turning up to your website like that is a is a big deal it is a big deal it's a huge deal that's not that wasn't a quick win that's based off 10 years hard graft you know so our core technology behind black pearl is the pearl engine and that's a, a series of you know technologies and components that we we kind of bring together in combinations to bring products to market. So when actually one of the main reasons we listed, ironically, back here at NZX is because we wanted to accelerate our growth and in, into technology-based products uh, at a far greater rate than what we were doing beforehand. And as a public company, you're afforded access to deals and you get a, a level of integrity that you just don't as a private company. So it really did actually shortcut the process for us to be able to get access to these new data sets, which made this product come to life. But at the same time, we we're able to, once we got those data sets, turn that product around. And, you know, in the sake of a month and a half it was the front end was was put up and it was you know in the very next month after that we had our first 50 orders which was which was awesome so guess to answer your question i mean that's what the product does and it's 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 a complicated product but it got made easy because we'd had 10 years of hard work to make it look easy you know yeah yeah no i mean you know it does sound i'm sure there's so much gone into it i'm just trying to think the equivalent in the what would be maybe a uh, a kind of a physical real world 
it sounds like if you've got a shop window, there's people looking in the window and not coming in the shop. You actually know the people that have, are interested in your products as they walk past, as opposed to just the ones coming to the shop. I don't know whether that makes any sense. What you know what? I can't. Like. I can't actually give you any a, a better analogy than that. Yeah, I guess it, it's something. It's something like that. It just it just takes the mystery out. I mean, the way that we look at it, it's your website. Everyone actually knows who's on your website, other than you. That's the, the, the main thing that's a frustration of any small to medium-sized business is that everyone knows who's on your website other than you. Google knows, you know, Meta, Facebook knows, uh, Amazon knows, Microsoft knows, Apple knows, Salesforce knows, Zoom Info knows, right? Everyone knows. And then they have the audacity to hold that information against you. Your own data is ostensibly getting held as ransom, and then you have to pay their exorbitant fees for their services to get fed small amounts of your own information back because they're trying to keep you hooked to their pay-to-play marketing services. It's unfair, and, and it's a frustration that's universally shared. So when we launched the product, I was up at... 4.30 every morning because I want to speak to and hear the words from as many customers as possible. Customers are the lifeblood of any company and if you're a CEO, it doesn't matter if you're a janitor, it doesn't matter who you are, you need to hear what your customers are saying. And that statement, that frustration that I just said there about everyone knowing, the emotional reaction you get out of business owners or marketing managers you know, because we're, we're just selling this to the American market and they're like, yeah, you're right. You know, like they're really fired up and as you should, you know, so yeah. And then it's, it sounds great. I mean, and when you come up with an idea that sounds so obvious, it's like, why didn't they, no one thought of and think of this before is usually the sign that it's an absolutely fantastic idea. It's just no one's ever made it work. Yeah, it's a no brainer. That's yeah. what it's like uh, out of all the calls I was on, the main thing people said is, oh, this is a, this is an absolute no brainer. No brainer at the price, no brainer at the that what you get for the money, you know, like and that and then I know I'm, we've got a home run because you know you've got everything right and it's got to be obvious and communicatable and even to someone that's like you you're professing not being you know, uh, tech savvy, but I explained that to you and you went, you know, verbally, I didn't even have to show you what it did. And you went, oh, I understand that. It's kind of like people walking past your shop and you can go, oh, there's Georgina, there's Ed, you know, and, and, and there's how you contact them afterwards and they're interested in these things. It's awesome. Yeah. Great stuff. So Nick, I want to come back to that point just quickly as well on actionable data. Um, so especially from a small and medium business perspective, so you get all this information um, through all these tools, great. But how do you leverage that data? And especially if you're a small and medium business, you've got maybe limited resource, what do you do with it? That's an awesome question. And there's this, uh, like, uh, you know, I'm in a technology company, so I'm allowed to do a geek reference from time to time. So there's a great reference in Game of Thrones, and it's when uh, Littlefinger's having a standoff against the, the Queen and then he, and, he, and, he, and he tries to power play on her and says, you know, oh, knowledge is power. And she gets all the guards' swords around his throat and says, no, 
power's power, right? And it was more like action's power. So knowledge isn't powerful. What you do with it is actually useful. And you're pointing out about that, like small to medium-sized businesses might not have the resources or knowledge to actually be able to utilize that data in, in a useful way. And so that for us is what we're absolutely thinking of when we're engineering a product. And to take Pearl Diver as an example, okay, it tells you all the people that are turning up to your website. So I can tell you right off the bat, anyone sees that, they're going to be super excited and great. But then what do you do with that data? Because if you don't let them do something really simple with that, that person will churn after three months. So what we do is we rank and we do two things. We rank engagement and we cross-reference that data with another data set. So to kind of simplify that down, you got a whole lot of people that are turning up to your website. If they've turned up to your website once, you don't want to start chasing them around. Like they're going to not take that well, and it's just a that and, and it's a bad uh, use of your time and money, right? So they're the ones that you just you know export straight into your email marketing system, Mailchimp or Constant Contact or your CRM or whatever. What we do with Pill Diver is we rank engagement, so you can see if someone's been to your website four times or multiple people from one organization have been to your website, well, that's a whole different profile. At that point, you know those people are far more interested. And then utilizing other technologies, maybe like a new old stamp or, or a Blackpool Mail product, you'll do an email outreach just introducing yourself. And then the real low-hanging fruit is we cross-reference who's turning up to your website with who anyone in your company has emailed. So that, that, for me, that's the money shot because you're already, someone in your company already has an existing communication channel with them. And so it's very natural that you would reach out and just serendipitously continue on the conversation knowing in full well that, uh, that that person is interested and actually really engaged with you at that moment in time. And so even a entrepreneur that is busy 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 and working 70 hour weeks they can do that if they're adverse to any sort of sales or marketing or understand nothing about it they can still make sales by just being told this person and that's when i talk about like actionability right that that helps just point to the quickest path to revenue um, you mentioned the American market. Mm -hmm. Is this a is this an issue or solution or opportunity that also applies to New Zealand? How do you think about the New Zealand market and how data is utilised in in this country? There's a big difference between how Americans utilise data, which is our primary focus, and how New Zealanders use data. Okay, Americans uh, won't think twice about using something if they see how it's going to benefit them. Right? They won't ask many questions. They'll make a very quick decision and then they'll want it implemented immediately because time's money to them. Speaking with New Zealanders, we're a lot more considered, hmm, how would that be okay? I better speak to this person. And, you know, we're just different markets, different considerations and everything like that, different pace of life. Is that also something which is reflect from a more of a consumer's perspective? I'm thinking about data and the sharing of data, the different geographies in your mind, US versus New Zealand or wherever else. Is that similar? I mean, I guess when I use my phone, I always say yes to whatever Google sends me. So I don't really think about it. But I know that, that I do, I'm conscious of a lot of my data you know, being ping, pinged out all over cyberspace. 
do you think do you think there's different consumer kind of attitudes towards data as well totally you know like i mean there's the, americans are the most relaxed right you know and for example even with email the opt the opt out not opt in so i mean you can send an unsolicited email to an american legally while if you do that here or australia it's a no no you know you, they have to opt into that before you know can can i email yes and then you can start the the email marketing so there's a difference there in that uh and obviously in europe you know gdpr is a huge issue um so, sorry and, and sorry uh, just for anyone who's not familiar G- gdpr i'm not going to ask what it stands for <laughs> <laughs> uh it, it's the data privacy yes, act yes. that's pretty much right throughout europe and it's really about consent and how data is stored and then basically erasing that data if requested by that individual so that's coming back to how it's stored because if you can't kind of take that out when requested then you know you're in breach and then disclosure that you're taking that data so when you're engineering things you need to engineer for the global standard on everything that's what we do and you have to have an eye on the future so i could be wrong but i think there's something like 51 different data data privacy kind of laws getting evaluated in the states at the moment and you've got to be on top of them and make sure you're compliant with them all but ultimately you know you're talking about how do people feel about it i mean i think if people really understood how much they've been profiled at a government level or you know a major corporation level or a bank level right you wouldn't be thinking twice about the kind of the small amount of data that a, a small to medium-sized business is utilizing to help improve you know commerce makes sense i guess uh, we kind of a lot of the stuff's in kind of invisible when when one actually kind of sits down and think about it mm-hmm. you mentioned the future so maybe we can turn just in terms of where you see things going we had a you know you had a sort of regulatory kind of eye there i want to just actually share a quote i picked this up um, last few days um from a mckinsey uh report about data and the future of data it's actually called the data driven enterprise of 2025 and i'll read the quote so just to see how relevant this is or how realistic you think it is um product developers use unstructured data and unleash unsupervised machine learning algorithms on web data to detect deeply hidden patterns and develop a much richer understanding of customers than is possible today, for example, by using internet protocol data and website behavior. Is that three years away? Or is that something that... Well, we've been doing that for the last three years. Right, okay. Yeah, so that's the, well, longer than that. So that our core technology, the Pearl Engine, that, that is exactly what it does. So whoever that guy is, uh, he should have spoken to us a while back. Right. Um, and it, that all sounds super complicated, right? You know, and, and it's all dead accurate. But again, what are the outcomes of that? The outcomes of that telling you that this person's actually engaged with you because their pattern of engagement with your, you know, on website or with your email indicates based off past learnings that they're actually interested in what you're communicating. And these people are not. And thus, put your time and energy into that. I mean, time and money are the scarcest of resources for anyone, but especially small to medium-sized businesses in the commercial world. Don't waste your time on the people that are not interested. Put your time on the people that are. And that's the the actual, you know, from our practical use point of view, how we bring that out. And, you know, to further that quote, you know, talked about the importance of that and what people are doing. And I talked about 
data being the fuel of the fourth industrial revolution, I think people have to think of it beyond that. It's going to be the era of commerce. And if you don't embrace breathing that, then you're in a lot of trouble because it's just, it's the, it's it's what's happening. It's already happening. It's it's way beyond where people probably, the everyday person actually thinks it is. So, and, and, and so maybe a few things to conclude because it's been a really fascinating discussion. Maybe just on that, again, on that future. I mean, do you have a view of what the data data kind of world looks like in five to 10 years? Are we talking about quicker, more actionable data? Is there any data for people, consumers left to give? Is there still a lot of opportunity in terms of the devices we use and what businesses then see from their consumers? Any thoughts on that, those kind of trends, those real big, big picture? Yeah, all, all those things you said are the yeah. case. It will be, it'll become quicker, it'll become more accessible or more consumable. I think what you're going to see is there's, at the moment, the big corporations are the ones that are really are using data most effectively. And now we're seeing a trickle down of that coming into small to medium-sized businesses. So it's, it's, I think, a little bit like car technology. You know, they used to say what's in the latest Mercedes-Benz will be in, you know, all other cars in five years. So there'll be a little bit of that coming down, again, making it more bite-sized and consumable for small to medium-sized businesses. In regards to is there any more data to give? There's so much. And a great example of that is, like, where we kind of cut our teeth with data is an email. And, of course, email's been around... I think it was 1971, Ray Tomlinson, if my memory serves me correctly, right? And and it's been much the same since then. It hasn't changed. It's a protocol that everyone interprets slightly differently. You've got it's a juggernaut. It's the largest form of business to business communication. And yet no one in that whole time had bothered to look at that data and start analyzing it in the way we had, and then we were able to derive you know huge value out of that data so sometimes it's not getting more data it's actually just looking at it from a different angle and analyzing it differently and then and then all this new world of opportunity opens up so it's it's just i think five years time from now it's going to be crazy especially you know i hate bringing it up but like chat gdp you know (laughs) so excited which is pretty amazing but if you consider you know, just the last couple of years, what a huge shift that is and the fact that those those algorithms learn at such an aggressive rate. You know, five years is a long time. I mean, I tell you what, three years ago, I wouldn't have dreamed our Pearl Diver product was possible. Even actually, like quite honestly, in my wildest dreams, wouldn't have thought it was possible. And then suddenly the changes in technology come in place. You're in the position because you've done the hard work prior to take advantage of it and the world opens up in front of you. So it's exciting times. Oh, fantastic. Nick, I mean, it's been a great chat and I'll be definitely brighten things up. I feel much more educated than I was about sort of 25 minutes ago. And it does sound like there's a load of other sort of interesting stuff we could talk about in terms of AI and how that integrates. So I think we're going to probably move to close. So Nick, I just want to say I really appreciate you coming in again today. Uh, I do encourage everyone to also to check Nick and uh, Tim's podcast that we did back in December about the Black Pearl Group. Nick, great to see you. Thank um, you for having me. And yeah, I, I hope you have a good journey back to sunny Wellington. Oh, tropical Wellington, tropical Wellington. I, I packed shorts and Hawaiian t-shirt just so uh, when I get off the plane, I'm not going to, you know, not going to overheat. Right. So so we are, so lots of people are going to be moving to Wellington now. Back to that. Here's <laughs> Nick and I thank everyone. See you again soon. Thank you. 
The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.